Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Ring Talk with Angie John Terry. My guest tonight is a really, really important person in the Canadian history of martial arts. He has the title of Hanshi. He is a pioneer in karate. He was one hell of a competitor. If you wanted to bang it up, he was the right guy for you. And he has excelled as a teacher and he is a leader in a big group of martial arts. His name is Hanshi. Gary Legacy and the Legacy Group of Martial Artists in the south of Ontario and out west. They have produced some dynamite instructors and great champions. How are you, my friend? I'm fine, thank you. Yes, and for my, my other friends from Quebec, I want you to know that he has a past in Rimouski. Yes. That's good, eh? Um, to start, I know you go back over 50 years now in martial arts and uh, I want to say that you're a 10th degree black belt, well earned, we're going to go and get there. But when you first started, you joined the martial arts school at Harold Warden, and I'll let you explain where it was, how you felt when you walked in as a young man. Well, um, I was in my early 20s, I think it was around 21, and I've always wanted to learn how to fight. So uh, I was visiting a friend and he told me that this guy had opened up a karate club in the basement of this warehouse and I was quite interested so the first time I went in there were so many people there and they they did a very loud key eye and it startled me a little <laughs> bit so it stopped me from going in um, so I thought well maybe I'll come back some other time and about a week later I decided to come back and uh, I, I just never looked back I know and and then uh there's a good story when you were at Errol Warden School, when you were a green belt, I think. And you had one of the best fighters come in to do a class. His name is Wally Slokey. Remember that? I remember that, yeah. Tell us about it, because I, this is a nice story. Well, after this story, I didn't know whether I should have been a karate guy or a pilot. Because uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, Sensei Slokey was asked to come in and help you know, introduce our basics to us. And um, then I, he, I was a green belt at the time, and Sensei Sloki had his arm in a cast. And uh, when we first faced off, I, I thought I'd get a bit aggressive. So I stepped behind him and I pushed him, and he tripped on my leg and landed on the ground. Uh, he got up, the entire place went quiet. <laughs> I thought, well, oh. So uh, then he just began point, picking his places and telling me where he was actually going to kick me. He said, I'm going to kick you here and here and here. And he did it. And on, on a three-kick combination, he ended up hitting me with a side kick. And I literally flew three rows <laughs> into the students. And uh, my friend kept saying to me, stay down. Just stay down. <laughs> I was too stubborn, so I, I learned a pretty hard lesson from 
the very best in that time. Yes, Wally Slurky was the very best and, uh, and a great Canadian, you know. So we're proud now. I, I also know that after Harold Warden's episode, you went to one of the greatest and possibly unknown, not as much as some other karate instructor, but Benny Allen, who was to me one of the greatest instructor in Canada ever. Oh, yeah, he, Benny Allen is an icon. Yeah. For in martial arts for us, he his school put out like Tony Facetti, Ted Martin, Wally Slokey, Scold Batracks. There are so many Gary Hales, and he was an extra, uh, extremely good instructor. He was a little bit less formal than everyone else. He just wore track pants and a T-shirt to his classes, but he had the ability where when he threw a punch. His T-shirt sleeve would snap. It was, <laughs> it was so good. He had uh, he learned a lot of Chinese as well as um, um, Japanese martial arts, and he spent a lot of rooms in in the back and uh, a lot of time in the back rooms of Chinese restaurants and training with uh, the old Chinese masters, just in their suits, and that. And he became very good at it, and he became fairly well feared at. His uh, one-inch punch. His one-inch punch was uh, as strong as a, a regular full punch on that. Yes, one. absolutely. Yes, and and he has he has produced some of the best. And there was uh, uh, I, I remember spending a lot of time with Wally Slokey and Wally telling me about Benny Allen because Wally became great and so did Ted Martin and everybody yes. because of Benny, yes. and uh, that is great. And I also know that. After that, you went with a real traditional instructor in Richard Kim. Yes. I was taught um, how to fight pretty well. I was a, a bit of a rounder coming off of the street, so I w uh, w fighting wasn't strange you know, to me. And um, Benny Allen, Wally Slokey, and those guys, at the very beginning, they, they try to give you some sort of a physical um, presence with your martial arts. And then I decided that, you know, I'd, I'd like to have a look at the classical uh, or maybe the spiritual side of martial arts and hear, see how that helped to bring everything together. So then I, I hunted around and I ran into Benny Allen's um, teacher or leader, we could say, because he, he was also the president of the Batoku Kai, Benny Allen was. And that was Richard Kim. He uh, he told us a lot a lot of the reasons um, why you do karate and the honorable parts of karate and I have a, a story about him to just to relate what kind of education he gave me. I was also the president of the Batokukai at that time, and um, I was we were going into a seminar, and I was following him. I was of course his host and. Uh, the gym was off to the right, and he was ahead of me about 10 feet, and he took a left. And I'm wondering, whoa, where's he going? I don't know about this, so I, I sort of ran up to make sure I wouldn't lose him. But on the way up to the hall, I caught him two or three feet just coming back. And I, I looked down the hall, there was nothing there. And I asked him, uh, excuse me, uh, Sensei, um, the gym was over in this direction. I was just wondering why you went in this direction. 
and he walked a couple of steps and he, and he pointed to uh, it was the picture of the sacred heart of Jesus okay. and he said to me and he had bowed and he said Jesus Christ was a very great Buddha and that's sort of where he comes from there. his teaching comes from there and um, I think that did a lot of good for me as, as you know when I was younger, I was a bit mouthy and wild, and, <laughs> but martial arts really revamped my entire human being. I know, and you're and you're that good of a human being now. I well, tell I, you, I appreciate that. Some people wouldn't agree. Well, I do. <laughs> Then somebody that really, when you reach a certain level, you met Anthony Sandoval. Yeah. That was another big, big influence in your life. That changed uh, Sand Anthony Sandoval, my sensei. He changed my entire direction of, of martial arts, and he opened up doors that a lot of people have not seen, and that is the Okinawan crane. Yeah, how it really happened, I, I talked to um, um, I can't remember his name right now. I talked to a gentleman in New York City, Long Island, in New York. And he said to me, uh, we have been pretty good friends. I told him what I was looking for. He said, you're looking for the Okinawan crane. And namely, the person you're looking for is Anthony Sandoval. He'll, he's a guy who lived in Okinawa for 16 years on and off as he was stationed there for the Vietnamese War. So he trained with all the big heads. Um, And he, he, I went and visited him, and uh, we had a conversation. And he seemed to think that I would fit the bill, and he accepted me as his student. And he is still my sensei to this day, and it's 31 years later. Wow. And our school now knows the Okinawan crane, the one invented by Sokan Matsumura. Talk to us about the Okinawan crane. It's, it's, it's not a, a martial art that is known as much as, say, as Shotokan or Shturyu or whatever. Well, what I can tell you about that is in history, uh, Fanakoshi was a student in Matsumura's dojo. Um, where we ran into trouble there is Fanakoshi was half Okinawan and he was half Japanese. And at that time, they were at odds. The Okinawans didn't necessarily trust the Japanese because they would come on the island with a five-foot razor and just take what they wanted. And if you reached out to defend yourself, they just cut your arm off or took your woman, you know, or something like that. So um, when, Funakos when um, Matsumura had went to, to train with Iwa and Aesan, two Shaolin monks uh, to learn the white crane. Uh, coming back, he uh, altered it a little bit to fit the Seito Ryu style of karate or the Shorinru style of karate. So uh, Fonakoshi was a bit disgruntled because every time he tried to, uh, to sneak a peek at the white crane, um, Well, uh, Matsumura wouldn't let him. He only taught it to Itosu. And he swore Itosu, uh, he made Itosu swear that he would never show this to anyone because this was going to be his family style. 
And basically, that's how we lost Funakoshi and Shotokan came to life. With uh, Funakoshi got fed up and just moved to um, to Japan and started to teach Shorinru, not Shotokan. And the, the Japanese his Japanese students changed his uh, the name of the style to Shotokan, which was uh, Matsumuro's pen name as a poet, which means the wind throwing the blowing through the pine waves. And then so when he met, when Funakoshi met, uh, excuse me, left and went to uh, Japan and started the greatest, now the greatest Shotokan association in the world, it left um, Shore New Karate a bit empty-handed because if you look at, you look around right now in the world, uh, Shotokan clubs are all the clubs that followed after them you get up to a fourth dan, you have katas and programs, but after a fourth dan, there are no more. There are six dans where you don't necessarily learn anything, no program. I'm not saying that you shouldn't work all your other stuff together and blend your things together, but there clearly, in my opinion, there clearly was something missing. And that was the white crane that Matsumura had invented but had kept secret for his family. It should have been put out with this. And now I am one, or our schools are one of the very few people who have went over, looked after that, um, sort of brought it back, and it now exists in our style of Shorinru. And, and it's gonna keep going because of you and your students and to keep passing it down. Yes, it may not spread, but uh, we're going to claim that as from our style of Shorinru, which my students um, call legacy Shorinru, but it's just like a martial art being handed down. Uh, and I'm going to make it available. I tried to um, make it available for some persons when I was beginning, but they didn't, they didn't seem to be interested in that. They, they wanted to already know everything they've already known. They didn't want to learn more. So. Um, I think that at some point, important people will wake up and have a look at what I had to say, and karate will take a whole new direction in the later years. Yeah, and, and I hope it's not too late, because you and I are getting on in age, and we want to be around if they have questions, and if they want to be around, if we could, instead of them going to books or videos and saying, oh, I wonder what he meant by that. I doubt if they could find this in a book. And uh, I have my grandson, and I have Randy Dauphin, and I have a lot of my higher-ranking students that are right now diligently training, trying to, to um, keep the art alive. And we've actually, we're the only karate school possibly in the world now that uses the full program. That's and we, we now have it. When uh, students come in to train with us, we tell them they'll be learning karate, new karate. And in the later years, um, Matsumura Hakatsuru, which is Matsumura's white crane. Well, that's good. And uh, it's good that there's a follow-up because I know from you, Randy Dauphin is a certain age and your grandson is a certain age. So you've got three generations to move it forward. And maybe your great-grandson one day. Yes, that would be nice. He's on the dojo floor now. That's right. He's crawling, crawling around. Crawling around, <laughs> yes. Um, 
I'm going to go into it. Uh, I want to mention, because you talk a lot about the tradition and, and everything else, which is priceless today. So I love this. And if you want to add more to it, feel free to do so. I got to touch on your competition days. You know, people, I know when we used to go to tournaments back in the 70s, and 60s and 70s, life was different. It was tough. I'm not saying it was better. It was kind of a little bit crazy. There was no safety equipment. And you get popped out and everything else. And I remember a fight that you had. And you beat one of the best guys there. You didn't even know he was one of the best guys. And that was Rick Joslin. Yes. You want to talk about that? In what way? In, in, <laughs> in the way that you step in the ring. You don't know who he is, and this guy is very good. Yeah, that was at the Grand Nationals in uh, in Toronto, at the CNE there, and um, Harold Warden was my sensei at the time. I had a brown, I've been a brown belt, and I was um, getting ready to go into a grading within the next month or so. And he just called me up and in the stand said, "Come on up here." I went up there and he. He took my brown belt off, and he put, took his black belt off and put it around my waist, and he sent me down. And the first guy I faced was Rick Joslin. And um, uh, I was really lucky. I didn't know who he was. If I didn't know who he was, I probably would have been scared. But <laughs> uh, I did win. And uh, the next thing after, I was bowing, and I, and I looked up. I saw Benny Allen running down the stairs like, like crazy. He said, he just walked up to me and put his head against mine and said, do you know who you just beat? Like he was surprised because I was just a, yeah. a novice of his, right? And well, well, that speaks volume about Rick Joslin, number one, because he was a, a very big and very good fighter. I, I remember him. But Buster Douglas fought Mike Tyson, threw a punch, knocked him out. They had a rematch, and Mike Tyson took care of him. Yeah. You had a rematch with Rick Joslin. And who won? <laughs> I know you're humble, but you won the second time. So it speaks that uh, you were just not lucky to win one fight. And then, wasn't there another guy in New York, Sato, who had uh, retired, the, 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 who was the champion of Japan? He was the Kyokushin Kaiken, full contact champion. And... Um I just happened to be going to New York City that day. I was invited by Nakamura, who was uh, the sensei of the dojo at that time, to fight him. So uh, I went down there, and um, it was a rather interesting fight. I, I thought that he, he might have just been holding back, you know, because he was the champion in that. So I had a good, a good fight with him as well. Yes. Well, what happened in the lineup after? Well, he got frustrated and he walked over and punched me in the face. Yeah, out of frustration because, because he couldn't beat you. But th those are, are things that are legendary, right? And people say, well, he's just a little Canadian from up north and uh, came up here. And, and uh, that's, that's what, how it went. But you also won Canadian titles. 
and you won some big fights, you know, with a lot of people. And, and you know, when you went to tournaments and people look at you, they knew they were going to be in for a full day of fighting. There was you and others, of course, yes. you know. I mean, you were not the only one that was part of the game. But I remember also in 1973 in Elmwood Casino, Whoa. you fought a full contact fight there. Yeah. And... What happened to the guy you were fighting? <laughs> well, um, we just fought. We just fought. And uh, I, I knocked him down a lot. I'll just say that. And, and uh, he was, a, he was a, a student of Kaishin people. And, and they made a couple of jokes about it after. But, yeah. I mean, when you're in a ring fighting, it's not a joke. No. Somebody's trying to knock you out. And... There's always going to be somebody who's going to be the victim and always somebody who's going to be the victor. And you don't always know who that's going to be. That's right. But I can tell that some of the people, some of the jokes, somebody said, we should have sold some advertising underneath his feet because he kept falling all the time. And it would have been a great advertising. And, and with all due respect to who he was, I don't know his name, but I, I do respect. And, uh, but he... It, it proves again that when you go in the ring, you were ready and you go to fight, and then you, you did good. Um, and in the finals for the Canadian Black Belt Championships in Toronto, you fought Bill Hines, may he rest in peace. Uh, he passed away not that long ago, and he's a member also of the Canadian Black Belt Hall of Fame. And you are a member of the Canadian oh, Black Belt. Day. Yeah, on the same day as Bill. But that was one hell of a fight for the Canadian Championship. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I just want to say also that um, Billy Hines and I are both the students of uh, Benny Allen, and he gives yourself, or he gives you a part of himself on that floor to make you a better fighter. So he, he's sort of always with you. Uh, the best fight I probably ever had was with against uh, Bill Hines. We fought uh, for three periods, and then... Uh, there were three overtime periods, and uh, at one point I'd ripped his pants right off just from, from the fighting. And uh, when he came back out, um, he was my senior, by the way. I, I had just gotten the black belt like a couple of things before, and he was better than I was. But uh, he outsmarted me, and he, he faked to throw a really fast punch, and I blocked down really fast, and then he just did that. And put his head on my chest. And, you know, in, in tag karate, that's enough. So yeah. I ended up losing that fight. Oh, but did you? It was the best fight that but I ever fought. You know, uh, I, I heard about that fight for several times over the years. Because when you fight and then you go triple overtime, and this was a tough fight because both of you are from, well, from, I didn't know he was from Benny Allen also. I didn't know that. Yeah, and I had one of my black belts who, was joined the military and then he got transferred close to Bill Hines and uh, he trained with him for a number of years mm -hmm. and uh, said so sorry that we lost him you know uh, yeah, now yeah it's sad you know when you the, the older we get we see a lot of good people well that left part of them in the history of martial arts oh, yes. you were also a great coach and you were also a very good teacher 
Um, I can name you some people that trained with you. Leo Lauchs. What, what is it? Leo Lauchs, world kickboxing champion. Yeah, world kickboxing champion. Trained with you. Yeah, and uh, tell me a couple of stories or tell us a couple of stories about Leo or, or how was he in training when you were coaching him? Because you also had a part of Benny Allen in you. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Leo was always young, fast, good looking. You know, he had everything going for him. He's a quick twitch muscle fiber. He's like lightning fast. Uh, so while I trained him how to do karate and everything, I was not a kickboxing coach. So some of my former students and other persons came in and, uh, to get him, to train him into uh, the rules of kickboxing and ring fighting. And yeah. he become really good. He fought Lawrence Taylor from the United States and a lot of those persons. And um, I, I remember uh, he, he fought on the same car as Jean-Yves Theriot a few times. Did he? Yes, he did. And boy, he was exciting to watch. He had Jimmy Fields was in his corner then. And um, he, he was a guy, I, he came to fight. Let's put it yeah. this way, you know. So another guy that trained with you was Mike Bernardo. Mike Bernardo, yeah. He got his black belt at my dojo. Yeah. Um, he decided to go off on his own, which you, I can respect. Uh, he went into more like doing sport karate as opposed to classical karate and personally I would never give up my classical karate for sport karate but there is place for there's yes. a place for everything yes. right? it's just like saying um, you know uh, doing karate in the Olympics is a sport yes but who wouldn't want to be an Olympian that's right exactly <laughs> you know, if I could exactly. do it I would do it yeah. but uh, I, uh, as it goes now there, there's a lot of um, second looks at giving charge to the people who run the Olympics and, and uh, I disagree with that completely not that I'm saying there's no room for it but people who um, earn an Olympic medal they'll be there maybe four years maybe eight years for the Olympics Whereas a person who teaches karate and is with karate every day, the rest of their lives, those are the people who should make the decisions I think you're right. for the future of the martial arts. Yeah, I think so. I think there's Patricia Beauregard. Patricia Beauregard is a, a world champion, and um, but she was not bred in, as a martial art. She was not... Um, she didn't become a thoroughbred at my dojo. It was at another gentleman's dojo. I, I can't remember his name right now. But um, she continues to train with me. She went to, I think it was in um, the World Championships in Spain. And uh, there were two types of fighting. There was the classical fighting where you, you know, you stand. And then there's the other fighting. Okay, anybody come. She won second place in classical fighting. And then she won first place, and anybody come. Yeah, yeah she is an excellent fighter. It is good. There's another kid, too, that uh, we're going to get on this show one day, too, named Randy Dauphin. Pretty good fighter. Dauphin? He's, yeah, he, he seemed to be all right. He got it. <laughs> he, uh, he's an excellent. The thing I can say about Randy is he was an excellent student. And I always said, and you, you take this... Uh, and take it home with you and, and pay attention to it. 
Student is the large is the best title that you can ever get. Not Hanshi, not Sensei. Student. Because with that title, you will get every other title that you need. Like today, I, my most prided title to me is student. I'm, I'm a karate guy. I'm a karate student. I'm still here learning. I'll learn till the day I die. I don't get to fifth dan and think I'm the top of the world. And I usually call uh, anybody who does martial arts less than 30 years is a quitter. <laughs> I like that. That's right. I like that. Yeah. You know, it, I, I go for breakfast. I told you that on when we drove here today with students and people I trained with in the 60s and early 70s. They're all retired today, and we go for breakfast two, three times a year. And the stories that they bring in their lives, they had beautiful lives. Most of them did anyhow, and they had families and great jobs and They've accomplished a lot, but they always go back to their training days, and they always go back to some of the things that they have learned as a student and that carried them all their lives, you know? You're a student every day because what you learn, you put it in practice every day. Simple things, but you do. So I like that word. I'm going to use that again even more. The best title you can have is student. I like yeah, that. That is very good. Your breakthrough moment in martial arts. There comes a time you start to train. And I know, I read your book. And by the way, you're a great author. I read your book. Thank you for the gift. And uh, in the book, you were talking that you were doing karate before you even joined the school because you really wanted to do it. You'd look at a photo or a magazine, and then you would practice, and, and you had a heavy bag, and you would hit it and everything else. But then comes a moment you join the school or you get involved in karate, and what's your breakthrough moment that you think? I, I would have to say it's that day I walked in. I, I've, all my life, it's like you said, when I, I used to read comic books in the back. There was stuff that you could send away from. And I'd take boards and I'd put them across our sink downstairs in the basement and break <laughs> them. And we, were, we weren't very rich. We were fairly, um, we're not well-to-do family. And so I took my hockey bag, it was an old duffel bag, stuffed it with a whole bunch of old clothes and stuff and, and hung it up. And I remember putting a one, a two, and a three on different parts of the bag and my brother would stand behind me and he would call out a number and I'd have to hit that one as fast as I could, you know, doing stuff like that. Um, and I was sure this is what I wanted to do. But in the ski at the time and uh, there were no places. So when I moved to Ontario, even in my youth, you know, in uh, the early, early 50s, there weren't that many around. Yeah, there were very few and far apart. And, and I remember judo clubs. Oh, everywhere. 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 And you tell people you do karate, they, they didn't know what it was. Then when they found out what it was, they thought they were breaking bricks and going through walls, and, and that was the portrait that they had, right? So that is, if you look back, you look back a lifetime, my friend, a lifetime, what's your greatest accomplishments? And I put an S at the end because there's never one thing, you know? I think it's really simple, and my greatest accomplishment is becoming a martial artist just stepping in the dojo because uh, 
you know, it's like I tell um, my granddaughter, you know, if you're going to quit anything, quit school, quit your job, <laughs> but don't quit your martial arts. Because we all know that martial arts promotes all those things anyway. Right? So um, that's what happened to me. I had, a, I had a wandering life. My life was, wasn't going in a steady direction. But when, I, when martial arts took me in, it's, I started reaping benefits right away. Uh, I didn't have idle time to do other things that got me in trouble. I, I just went to the dojo and trained. I'd go in at uh, 9.30 in the morning, and I would leave at 10 o'clock at night every day except Sunday. That was my job. And that was your job, and that was your calling for sure, you know. And, and you know, and, and you need to have the passion. You need to have the will to do it. You need to have a good teacher, a mentor. But you also need to have a great partner to train with. And in, in, in speaking for me, when I go back a long ways, there was a guy in jiu-jitsu with me named Jimmy O'Neill. And Jimmy O'Neill and I, we... We would, uh, we would be young teenagers and we'd go to the dances and have fun and pick up the girls and then go to the movies and shoot pool and end up in a fight. And then uh, we would train. And there was another guy named Jack Boudreau. And Jack Boudreau was a few years older than us. And Jack is a historian about martial arts. He's brilliant. And he was more of the mentor because when you're uh, 15, 16 years old and the other guy's 18, 19, there's a big difference, right? But in training, you made a mistake, your partner will let you know. And for you, I think that your partner, because I read in your book about uh, John Pearson. Yeah. Tell us about how, how that worked, because that's, that was a very nice chapter in your book that I appreciated. It reminded me of Jimmy. John Pearson, when I first, the first day I walked into karate, I, there were like 60 people on the floor. And I was just looking at trying to see what kind of a martial artist I wanted to look like or be like, or even what a martial artist looked like. I'd never had really seen any, anyone before. So he, he had really good form and... Um, he had really nice techniques, so I thought at that time. And we became, as soon as I stepped on the floor, we became good friends, and we're still friends to today. When I left this morning, we live in the same apartment building, you know, like we still train together, we still have dinners together. But he was willing to take karate a little bit further than everyone else, you know. If you got a little punch in the face or you got a broken finger or something, they weren't, oh, I'm never going to be able to work out. We'd come back the next day and, and just keep going. You know, yeah, that reminds me of, of who we were with Jimmy, you know, and then it was the same. But, but people don't realize that you do need a good sparring partner, training partner in whatever you have, because if you don't pay the price for the mistake that you make, you'll carry it on forever. Right? And when the time comes, then it's too late. You know, you made your mistake. You know, I did one of the show on PKCC, which is, by the way, everybody should, should listen to punch, kick, chat, choke. And it's fantastic. And you and your students put this together now for two years. Great show. And one time we spoke about mindset. About when you train for competition or whatever competition you're in, if you're competing, Competing in Comité or Kabudo or Kata. 
you want to talk to us how you personally train your mindset and maybe how you program your students when they're just about to get in the ring or a month before they get in the ring? Mm -hmm. Well, it, it, a lot of detail and uh, it has a lot to do with uh, mechanics and um, the shape that your body in, is in, um, me uh, mechanical advantage, getting the proper angles on the people, etc. Like that, but uh, the main thing is that you train uh, very, very, very hard, and then with that, once you go and fight during the fight, your fights, then you should empty your mind. You empty your mind of everything. You can't have anything in it because it will get in the way of the what you're trying to let in. You don't know what's going to happen. The other person, you don't have anything in your mind, so he can't read your mind. Right? That's right. Yeah. And so when something happens, then it's like a clean mirror. You see it happen. No matter how small the move is, you'll see, you'll see it happen. You're, you're not trying to find somewhere to go. You're not thinking about the next te technique you're going to throw. You're not waiting for a certain technique that a guy throws a lot. You're just sitting there like a mirror. And when something moves, you react just like a mirror. And and uh, it's a good mindset. yes, and you know too when you what you're mentioning that goes with the mindset is you train basically what you're good at. You know, if you if you don't have great kicks, then you're not going to train to win with kicks because you know that's not going to work. Mm -hmm. But you're going to work on timing. You're going to work on combination. You're going to work on countering. You're going to work on blocking, and that in your mindset when the when they say ajme, well. It's not time to think, right? The mindset goes before, so that, that is well said. Um, one of your biggest or best contribution to martial arts over the year? Uh, for martial arts, I always, personally in martial arts, uh, I always do what's best for the martial arts, for my school, and then for my students. Yeah, so. Uh, I think one of the best things I, I ever did in that way is, um, is going to find a white crane and, and see if it did belong here. So I went to Okinawa, I went to all sorts of different places, and I think that that might be um, a little piece that I, my legacy that I, that I sort of leave behind. Um, as far as everything else, I think it's just a lot of hard work and a lot of hard work done by the students to try to understand and try to accomplish what I'm asking them to do. I think they'll get it with time because I remember the way you and I were thinking 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, it changes, you know, because we, we absorb, you know, I think when you become an adult our age, it's what you've been looking for all your life, but you never knew how to get there, but you got there. You know, you make mistakes all your life, but when we get there, we make a little bit less mistakes, I think, I hope. We forget a few more things, that's the mind, you know. What's your future plan, Angie? What's, what's the plan? God gives us Angie legacy for another 20 years, 30 years. What's your plans? Any future plans? Just to keep doing what I'm doing. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I love what I'm doing, right? Yeah. Uh, the newer plans would be, of course, with um, World Conquest, you know, with you guys. I, I like to be able to 
move around a little bit more on the earth as opposed to just staying in Canada and the United States. And I think that's a benefit that you help my dojos and myself and Randy with. And we, well, we appreciate that greatly. Well, thank you. It, it, it comes from my heart what I do because you guys have done a lot and you can contribute to the people I'm with. And if I put you there at the right place, and I will, trust me, we will do that. Because if, if we disappear and we never pass on what we know, I think it's a sin. It's going gonna, it's gonna to go by the wayside. Any comments, not comments, but any, uh, anything you want to say to the new teachers of today? Any advice that you want to give them? Well, I would say that uh, teaching is not as easy as it seems to be. You can start a lot, a lot of people off on a path, but not have the knowledge to get them to where they're actually going. There's a lot of young instructors like that. But if you yourself have an instructor, that when you have a hard time teach something, you can go stand behind and listen how, how it's done. Teaching and doing karate are two different kind of things in, in my books. Because you, um, in order to be a teacher, you need one word. That is understanding. If you don't understand karate, you shouldn't be a teacher. Uh, because I'll tell you why. It's because let's, um, let's parallel karate and math. And they say, you're a, you're, a, you're a math professor. And I say to you, can you tell me with the square root of 2,627,212 and the third is? <laughs> He'd say, no, but I'll figure it out for you. And he could figure it out for you. Whereas if you're a martial arts teacher and you understand how martial arts works physically, spiritually, and everything, how it's all interwoven into one big thing and then you can stand on the floor and have anybody ask you a question and you with your knowledge should be able to figure out what the correct answer is or what the truth is, is brilliant yeah. brilliant and to everybody that's watching this today we have a true master that has been telling us it's it's fantastic to listen to somebody with experience in every field remember i said he's a pioneer he's a competitor he's a teacher he's a master and in canada we have one of the one of the most prestigious group and it's about 120 people inducted into this group and it's the canadian black belt hall of fame and you were inducted in 2019 how's that for a feeling when you are called and say you're going to be inducted in the Canadian Black Belt Hall of Fame and you look at all the people that were inducted before you. I found that a bit hard because, you see, everybody knows their, their weaknesses, but other people don't. So they, they, they look at you like as not having these weaknesses, but you inside know you have to work on them. So, um, well, I was, I was really, uh, I never thought anything like that would ever happen to me. I'm just, I just wanted to learn karate. But um, I'm proud of having done that. Not, not of necessarily just getting that, but of being recognized by you guys. And people that mean a lot to me, by people know what I've done, not somebody 
in the United States who's going to put me into a Hall of Fame up there, I don't know. I, I've got three or four of those already. They don't really mean that much to me. But. I'm, I'm glad you're saying that because the feeling and and it's your pair, it's your peers that that vote for you and then you got in. We're at the end of our uh, of our session today. As a friend and a friend, I enjoyed being with you, and uh, that's fantastic. And uh, there's always good times and good things. And I've learned something about you that I didn't know today. And I've learned certain things about karate also that I didn't know. And which makes sense to me now because of what you said. So I want to thank you very much. You're welcome. And I want to thank you for your lifetime devoted to martial arts because we need more people that would spend the time like you did and like other masters did. And uh, here's to the future, my friend. Let's make it a good one. Thank you for everything. Thank you very much.